Welcome to the Mutual Success Podcast, where we hear how entrepreneurs and extraordinary sales professionals are helping each other, their clients, their communities, and maybe even saving the world. Hello, Josh. Hello. How was your morning going? Uh, magnificent as usual. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. That's good. So uh, what is your uh, location, if you don't mind my asking? Uh, I'm in, uh, just outside of Phoenix, Arizona. Ah, lovely this time of year. <laughs> finally, finally. This summer was brutal, to say the least, with, uh, I don't know if it was 10 or 15 days in a row that were 119. And so it was 50, in the 50s this morning, it felt freezing. <laughs> well, uh, I've been there in both times. Uh, my mom lived in Arizona when I was a kid. And of course, the only time we got to visit was in the summertime. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, that's funny. That was rough. But um yeah, hopefully today we uh, go over a little bit about your background, what got you interested in in the role you had. Um, I see mentorship is really strong in, in your uh, past and you're still involved with it. Um, so I want to talk about that. But, you know, the essence of, of my podcast is to, you know, start with, you know, the traditional win-win solution for mm -hmm. two parties that are in, engaged in, you know, uh, some type of transaction uh, but then radiate that out through people that are, you know, uh, affected for good just outside those two. And then radiating out such as, you know, you talked about I, I, um, at least one of your um, videos that you put up, uh, a, a group where you put a new group into place, um, they hit the ground running and, you know, knock the cover off the ball revenue wise, uh, which obviously affected the company, a, a bunch of families. And, you know, you're really uniquely poised at what I call the hub of, uh, let's say, global commerce in the recruiting <laughs> industry to uh, to benefit a lot of people. So, um, you know, talk about how uh, you're, you, you got interested in this business starting from the very beginning. Yeah, absolutely. So. To be honest, I got into the business via a friend of mine from college who was working at CareerBuilder at the time, and his territory happened to be in an area close by me. And so he was coming to visit a lot, to visit clients, and he kept telling me one day I should come work with him. And I, you know, kept saying that's not going to happen. I don't, not anticipating that at all. And then, sure enough, the day came when I asked for the referral from him, and I flew to Chicago for the interview. He you know, had provided or facilitated a very great introduction to the city, uh, organizing us going out on a boat with a friend saying, this is how we live out here. And, you know, and that, uh, and that really enticed me to come out there. The interview went very well. And it was my first really corporate style job type interview. And it was really funny in the process. It was, um, they were very nice to me in the fact that they organized all the people I had to meet with in the same day, just because I was flying in from out of town. In the very last interview, the individual uh, asked me why I want the job. They were like, this job's terrible. Why do, why do you want this? You know, you have to do all this cold calling and it's going to be tough in the beginning. And it was funny because I'd never been presented with that, which actually, you know, the reverse psychology very much worked because it uh, made me more interested in the job that I could, I could do that. And so, you know, next thing you know, I got the job offer, moved to Chicago, and that's when uh, my career started. And you know, just getting involved right out the gate, coming in very disciplined, very poor after the move and living in a very expensive city. 
um, that motivation to be successful there and the discipline that I had, or especially early on, was really what, um, first of all, made me more knowledgeable in the business, which also made me more successful. But it was just in that moment uh, of the first kind of larger scale deal where you're really working with a team of talent acquisition leaders and building out a process to help them hire and hearing the success stories of, um, you know, just how happy the people were uh, that I was working with about, you know, the individuals they're bringing on. But then eventually, you know, going to meet these clients and talking with the employees that were hired via the solutions we provided and hearing how it was, uh, you know, life changing for them to switch careers to go into this other field. It just it, it became kind of a uniquely rewarding process. You weren't just selling a, a solution or a software, but rather you're actually changing people's lives. And I think that sometimes that gets lost when the difficult times, you know, when you're you're worried about your number, especially early on in your sales career and you're trying to hit that number and and make sales, but on the back end, the the actual result of that is uh, really helping a lot of people. And I think you can lean on that uh, in, in more difficult times, especially. Uh, but I think it's a I think it's kind of a unique thing about working in talent acquisition. So uh, when was it that you that uh, you picked up this Chicago uh, role? It was in 2014, August 2014. Moved to Chicago, um, and you know, I really, in terms of my sales career, I kind of have it. You know, it was kind of a fun exercise thinking about this conversation, uh, going back and, and analyzing different points, you know, in your life and in your career. And I came up with three different um, phases of it, which is the start, which is when you come in very motivated. I was luckily lucky to come in and, and be very successful very quickly. And, you know, when you first start off, it's back when you, you can't afford to take an Uber to the office, you're walking to a bus, taking a bus to a train the Chicago Avenue bus to the Milwaukee Blue Line to get to the office. And, you know, you weren't able to go out during the week with buddies and go to happy hour because you had to go home because you couldn't afford it. And I think that that um, starting off in that position really actually ends up being a great thing because you had to absolutely grind to to get going. And then within a year, I ended up, uh, you know, getting a few promotions and was in a, you know, a much bigger role. And that's when I call the slump. Uh, part of the career started is you you get into that newer role it's you think it's going to be just as good as the last one because you're absolutely crushing it you have a lot of things outside of your control that go badly like a company that is going under and all of a sudden you're responsible for revenue and have to bring revenue in versus you used to only have to just bring in new revenue so now all of a sudden you're brand new into this role and you're negative you know fifteen thousand dollars a month so you're trying to come out of a hole and and i think that in that time uh not only are you stressed and there's a lot of things that aren't going your way, you also have more money than you've ever had at the time. And so you you get a little more comfortable and you know you want to have a little more fun. You're not as disciplined. And in that timeline, uh, things kind of kind of slip a little bit or you're not as as focused as you want to be. And you know, for some people that may last a few years or some may last six months. Um, I know for me it was probably a, a six to eight month um, you know, timeline where you're still working. It's just it gets difficult. And then the last phase I call the strive, which is kind of when you come out of that or, you know, the resurgence coming out of that, realizing the world owes you nothing, that you are your own entity. You know, you start treating, you treat yourself as if you were a company, if that makes sense. You know, you have to look at your budget, the revenue, the cash flow, and then you start making decisions as if you are your own entity. And, and how are you going to get to the next phase of your career, the next, you know, the next month, whatever it may be. And I think that that mindset shift of really understanding that there's there's no one out there that's just wanted, wants to give you, um, you know, anything that you need for for nothing. Like you really have to 
you really have to dive in and view yourself that way. And that is provides kind of an intrinsic motivation, you know, from there on out realizing that and coming to that realization is not fun per se, you know, when you're uh, 24 years old, 25 years old, and, you know, think everything is just going to be on autopilot and you realize it's not, it's only going to get harder and harder. And then if you, uh, global, uh, you know, shutdown and uh, economic conditions, it makes it even even more the case, uh, you know, as you move forward. Well, that was an amazing tour de force of, of a couple <laughs> of different important parts of everyone's career. Um, I want to go back and, and, and talk about, you know, the first role you were thrown into. And, and you, you mentioned how, you know, you, you got some guidance from, from the, uh, the, the, your senior staff. Talk about some how they uh, maybe gave you the the advice to approach the, this really challenging role where you, you know you're dealing with it. Um, you know, obviously bringing in and and uh, as you said, cold calling, which is a part of every new salesperson's career almost. You know, certainly <laughs> myself, uh, learning new skills, learning a business, and then dealing with you know what we all go through when we're we're trying to sell. Yeah, absolutely. I was very lucky that my friend that brought me to the company, he was, let's say, three levels above me in terms of uh, hierarchy in the sales organization. And so me coming into the vertical business unit, uh, which was to this day still one of my favorite jobs, um, you know, you don't realize it in the, in the moment, but the struggle with all the people, uh, it it's one of the most fun times when I look back on it. Coming into the business with him, who was already working on more complex deals targeted at more enterprise style companies, I took that mindset and approached, you know, the smaller businesses with that same thing. Like my big question was, why not? I remember stepping into the role and asking my manager, um, why doesn't this company have X, you know, product? And she's like, I don't know. That's a great question. And so then it was my mission. I wanted to sell that product faster than anyone had ever done in that group. And sure enough, I was able to do it. It was just because I... There was, I didn't have any of that, uh, had tried before, or didn't think I could do it. It was always, why not? Like, let's, there's until I, uh, you know, I'm totally unsuccessful or realize it's not a good fit, then we're not going to stop trying. And lo and behold, it was a great fit for many of the organizations. You just have to really dive deep, have a good, trusting, transparent relationship with, you know, the, the buyer on the other side. And it has to be a mutually beneficial outcome. You know, it's not like you're just selling something to, for me to, you know, get a paycheck for sales to truly work and for deal sizes to actually grow, there has to be uh, something that you're doing for them. And they have to see that it, and so it's different for everyone. It may not be like, not everyone as weird as it sounds cares that you save the company a bunch of money. Like that's not something that uh, hits them personally. So you have to not only prove how it's going to save the company money, but the real thing you have to prove is how it's going to impact their life, the end user, the employee, um, you know, one thing that I had a very real conversation with was one of my, my first ever, you know, six figure deal was, you know, implementing this system, automating some of these tests, helping build a pipeline, you know, the automation of the pipeline and re-engagement allows them to take off work at three. So they can go to their daughter's soccer game, you know, like that type of value that you can bring to a buyer oftentimes matters way more than anything that that you could do for the company, even though when we come into these roles, we think, but the return on investment is X, Y, Z. Why won't these individuals buy the product? At the end of the day, they don't care. What matters is how you impact their life. And so that kind of mindset and that approach is something that stuck with me. And, you know, you don't ever really have a, you know, there's a transactional sale and there's a relationship-based sale. And the relationship-based sale is 
you know, the better one because it leads to long-term engagement. And also, you know, I've met a lot of friends that were previously clients that are now actually, you know, friends in my circle from that. So it's, it's just kind of the, the best way to go about things. Right. Well, it sounds like you're, you're using a combination of creativity, curiosity, and diligence uh, while fostering this great sense of community that really transcends, as you said, uh, just an instant transaction. Um, you, um, one of the things that you emphasized in, in the one, the most very recent video, you did it four days ago <laughs> about yeah. the, the, the team you placed recently, you talk about two really important aspects, uh, in your industry, but really any, any industry, um, you know, not all, sometimes they're more important than others, but you use the term speed and accountability. Mm -hmm. Um, so if you could please, you know, talk a little bit about how speed and accountability can benefit both your organization and yourself, as well as your clients and, and their clients, uh, and, and how accountability also improves kind of overall results and, and then talk specifically a little bit more depth about this particular, uh, deal that you did. Yeah, absolutely. So speed and accountability, I think, apply to functionally everything, you know, especially when you're talking about B2B sales. Um, many of these organizations, you may talk with them for months and not have a decision when you're trying to get something done quickly with them. And all of a sudden, when they do decide, they want to move fast. And just because you have had the relationship with them for six months, some other version of me out there in the world may have spoke with them last week and presented something that's very similar. And so at the end of the day, sometimes whoever can get it done the fastest will win the deal. Even if, you know, I've sent you a gift card to Starbucks or a pizza, a deep dish pizza from, you know, Illuminati's in Chicago, those things don't matter when it comes to actually implementing the service. So in today's age, speed is everything. And then the, in terms of accountability, um, actually being able to do what you say you do, I feel like uh, the world has lost a lot of faith in, in accountability in general. Um, you know, everyone says they do X, Y, Z, and then there's the fine print that uh, throws everything that was promised to you, you know, out the window. So for us, you know, a, a big thing is making sure we meet those metrics. And to be accountable and to ultimately be held accountable, you have to understand what the baseline is. Like you need to understand how do you value success at your organization? Because we don't want to just blindly place someone and say, hey, this person made, you know, eight hires in the second month, which is great, you know, because they just came in. But if, you know, those roles you know, may not be as challenging to hire. Maybe they were expecting the individual to make 25 hires within two months. We need to understand that so that we can hold our people accountable. And another thing on accountability is it's, it's funny when you don't really have goals, you kind of just go through the motions. But when you know you have to meet a certain number, it raises awareness of that. Like you get more creative, you, you work harder because you know that this is the benchmark. And so I think having that accountability, it's, it's a, a bar to set to meet, but then it gives you something to be excited about. It gives you like, even if it's an artificial, you know, it may not be the case in recruiting corporate America, you have goals you have to meet, but setting up those, uh, those benchmarks of success, it gives you something to celebrate when you do it. So it's, it's kind of a psychologically good thing, but also in a world where accountability, I think is waning, uh, actually being steadfast to that, I think is very valuable and people see it as, as a value. 
you read my mind when you talked about benchmarking because obviously we're you know we have to measure our results we have to set goals um but but you've you know in in what i've seen in in my research about you you, you have kind of a, a really nuanced and serious view toward benchmarking so Talk a little bit about, please, uh, how you would establish a benchmark once you, uh, you know, evaluate a market and start to begin goal setting. Yeah. Do you mean personally or for uh, like for in this case, like a business and like talent acquisition specifically? Well, I'm talking about when you're talking in your business, mm -hmm. you you say, well, we're, we have we're going to use benchmarks to evaluate ourselves. We're going to show you how we've done this in the past, and yep. this is how you're going to. We're going to know by the end of our engagement that that we've been successful by how we've performed versus these benchmarks. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first thing is to really get into the specificity of the task, what the project is. Um, you know, if you're hiring nurses, that's going to be a way different benchmark than if you're hiring salespeople or if you're hiring software engineers. Also, the market, you know, depending on layoffs, but there's a huge pool of talent that's eagerly available, that's going to impact that market. But what we want to do is we want to understand where previous, what are the previous successes and what is deemed, um, you know, acceptable or accountable at the organization. And then what we will do is take our market data because we hire for so many different roles out there and we can say, you know, this is good if you would like to be, you know, let's say a, a little bit above that, we can get there and we can help you get there because this company views, you know, XYZ is successful. We, oftentimes, you know, we don't want to necessarily tell who the company is, but yet talk about how there's, there's other places out there that that benchmark might be higher. But I think that it starts with the position, the market that you're in, obviously, whether it's remote and, or returned off, you know, returned office has become such a major thing here lately, which really throw, it makes it much more difficult. But understanding that, and then we have, you know, we have a great network of recruiters, we have a great network of leaders that are founders that started their own agencies, and we've all come together. And so really using that um, kind of teamwork and, and, and looking at other areas of business that we've all been in, you know, we all like to meet at least once a week to go over those types of things and share relevant information. And so it's really a matter of what they, the client deems as successful. And then what we, through our collective experience have seen, how can we raise that? And that can be through various, various means, you know, is it that we're not, the client needs us to do more outreach? Like, do we need to talk to more individuals to make more hires? Or is it a matter of bottlenecks in the process? Like, why is it that we submit a candidate, they interview with a recruiter, and then the hiring manager keeps canceling that interview and it goes, you know, 10 days, 14 days instead of a 48 hour turnaround time, that might be a place that needs to be improved instead of the outreach. So there's, uh, I call it an assembly line, there's multiple points on the assembly line that need to be analyzed. And where is that uh, point that is the bottleneck, because that might be the issue, not the amount of candidates that are coming in. Um, it just really depends. Like, you know, back before there were all these interview scheduling tools, or sorry, just like Calendly links and things like that. It was very difficult to just schedule a meeting with multiple hiring managers because of the fact that you had to go through, you know, 10 different Outlook calendars, try to find all of that. But now with modern technology, it's become easier, but that used to be a very big bottleneck in the process, just to give an example. So there's a lot of different um, different points of emphasis that that we can find efficiencies but uh, it just it's client by client specific. I know I kind of went uh, all over the place there, but uh, there's a lot a lot to unpack. <laughs> well, actually what, one of the great things about the what what you just said uh as, as packed as it was is situational awareness. And the situational awareness 
you have your tools, but the most important thing is, you know, the, how those tools help the team uh, get together, communicate and make the adjustments as they come, because we know we're always going to be facing, uh, you know, different challenges, as you said, different bottlenecks that are going to require reallocating resources. And that situational awareness is, um, you know, it, it's it's at a premium you know, and, and you guys are taking it into consideration very well. Um, one last thing about um, uh, expectations is mm -hmm. how do you, you know, one, one of the biggest uh, challenges for salespeople when they're bringing on a, a new client is, is, is managing expectations. Because like you said, we, we want to honor what we've, uh, what we've told the client that we're, we're going to be able to achieve. Uh, but then once you get into real life, uh, you know, you sometimes there, there, <laughs> some unexpected things happen. So we have to, to, to communicate uh, the, the nature of, of uh, expectations and performance versus expectations. How do you uh, face that challenge? Yeah, uh, a few things, you know, in the rare case of something does not go as planned or, or is not, you know, delivering to the level of expectation, I think you have to make it right. Um, I will say that one thing unique about our business today that I love is that we are privately owned, um, mm. you know, and after, after a few more acquisitions that I believe one might be announced this week, maybe next month, um, we're on pace to try to become the largest privately owned organization within our space. And when you have that luxury, you can make it right very easily. I can call mm. my CEO at any time um, and we can say, hey, this may not have gone right. Let's take care of it, whether it be offering some sort of free service or or extending the service at no cost to make sure we meet those deliverables. It's very easy to do that in a lean, privately held organization, whereas if you're at, you know, a, a very large company, which I've been at before, you have to, you know, get an approval from management to director to VP to, you know, maybe CRO, whoever it may be. Mm -hmm. And those things take, you know, weeks sometimes to uh, to get done. And so it can lead to frustrating situation. And so I think that our, in the position I'm in today, uniquely the private held entity makes it very easy for us to meet those demands. But I mean, even if you're not in that situation, I think that the sales individual, you have to really go to bat for your people. Because in today's age, especially like the social age and how connected everyone is, like people don't forget. So you go to a new role. What if that person's in your territory at the next role, you know, and you only have when you're an enterprise sales rep at many companies, you might have five to 10 clients. That's it. You know, you don't have a thousand like you do when you're in a small business uh, unit. So those relationships really matter. And so I think you you just have to go to bat to make it right at, at all costs. As they say, the right relationship is everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's great. I, I really appreciate all you've said about, you know, those challenging aspects of, of uh, doing business. Um, let's uh, finish up by talking a little bit about um, what you're doing now. I, I see that you're, you're part of uh, the Spark Student Mentorship Program. Uh, I don't know how active you are in that, but I know you, you have been active in that in the past. And talk about what they do and, and what you enjoy about, you know, helping aspiring, uh, you know, students. Yeah, um, I'm actually not active in it any longer. I was in when I was in Chicago. Uh, it was a great program. And what it did was it brought individuals, you know, grade school, middle school um, from different high schools, particularly mostly in the south side of Chicago. And they came up to the actual on site to the business uh, once a week. And it was like a four week, six week program. I can't remember exactly how long it was. Uh, but it was really fun uh, getting to have 
you know, the students come up, we could kind of, you know, create activities to do with them. We might even just go for a walk in downtown Chicago because that was fun. Um, one thing that uh, I used to do with the students that uh, I thought was a, a fun exercise was I would have them make their resume or basically say, you're applying to this job way into the future. Let's make your resume. And so asking the questions like, where did you graduate college? Um, and it was a question that some of them hadn't really considered or, or even thought about. And so it was fun when one person was like, Ohio State University. And I was like, that's great. Let's start there. You're an Ohio State graduate now. And what did you do at Ohio State? You know, did you, what activities were you involved in? And, you know, so piecing it out and then, you know, we really parsed out the whole resume and then you print it off and, and give it to the student to have. And I, I thought that uh, it was something that it, it's something that got them really excited. And I thought it was a fun exercise to do just kind of, uh, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy, kind of putting that out there that this is what uh, I'm going to do. And this is where I'm at. And the reactions from it, a lot of the kids were so proud of it. You know, they were very excited to take it, take it home, you know, show it off. And so um, that was probably my favorite activity to do with the new, you know, new classes when they came through. But overall, it was just, it was really just uh, like, hanging out, talk about school, you know, how good are you doing in school? What, what are you struggling with? We might even do homework together. You know, it, it was, there were really no rules to it. Like we kind of just went an organic direction. However, however it kind of went, each student was different, you know, but it was, it was a lot of fun. And we made a project at the end that was presented at the, at the school every year. And it was a lot of fun. I also got to meet a lot of coworkers that I didn't interact with on a regular basis. So it was, it was fun to get to meet other people at a large organization while, while working for a great cause. And now that you're a more senior executive and you've got a bunch of people that you're, you're responsible for, uh, how, how are we you proceeding through dealing with, uh, let's say, cultivating them as, as great talents of the future? For sure. I mean, I, I love just connecting with individuals. So, you know, really having, um, you know, it's not like we're here to, you're not here to be just like coached outright. It's a matter of tell me, you know, what is it you think you need help with? Also, like, what can I do to help you? You know, I'm not here to tell you how to do things. Just tell me how I can help. Um, you know, it, it's always fun because it's an opportunity to basically let individuals show that they actually know what to do. You know, having that free form, they know what to do. Sometimes it's, I think it's a matter of confidence at times of, um, am I doing it the right way? You know, it, it, this job is difficult. It wears on you. You have ups and you have downs. Um, and, and it's tough. So just uh, walking through the process, you know, having them share exactly what they need to do and then building up the confidence. It's like, exactly, you know what you got to do. I'm a very uh, high energy, positive vibes kind of guy. And so, um, you know, bringing it out, getting people hyped up, excited, and then, you know, sometimes just getting on a call with, with individuals uh, and then breaking it down afterwards where that is a coachful moment and also talk about and really highlight the things that you did well. I think sometimes it's as easy as just not to say you're a hype man, but um, doing that can can really it really translates well into the conversation. Um, but also, you know, just talking with individuals outside of the company too, like uh, you know my younger brother that's in sales now. It's uh, you know it's fun kind of seeing him start his career off and, and be very successful in in what he's doing as well. It's a different industry, but um, still it's the same concepts, and so it's a lot of fun. I like to stay connected with people and. Um, stay connected with a lot of former uh, co-workers and, and we want to help build each other up and, and learn from each other. And I think it's beneficial in any career or any, um, you know, uh, vertical or industry that you're in. Wow. Awesome. Well, you never, you did not have to tell me that you're considered a high energy guy. 
<laughs> that that <laughs> rings funny. out a thousand miles away, three thousand miles away. Oh, that's funny. But uh, but uh, l- listen, it has been a delight talking to you, Josh. Um, I'm I'm really uh, happy that you uh, gave us the time today to to go over uh, su- such important aspects of a professional life uh, from someone who has so much impact. Uh, on on different communities and and talking about all all the values of, of building a community and and uh, working together to to just bring as many benefits as possible to you know the participants in a transaction uh, the, the stakeholders and communities that that they work with and ultimately society on the whole. So uh, I really appreciate your time, uh, and we look forward to following your career for uh, many years to come. So. Awesome. Thanks for joining us on the Mutual Success Broadcast. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. This was was very fun. So I appreciate you reaching out. It is my pleasure. Ring, ring. It's over. (laughs) 